If you would, uh, I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Proverbs, or you can simply open up your bulletin to the book of Proverbs. Last week we began uh, our summer study, at least what I think is going to be a summer study of this book of wisdom, a book that reminds us, that encourages us all to pursue wisdom. We think of Proverbs contextually as being written to a young man, which it was, but it doesn't merely apply to youth, it applies to the simple, it applies to the foolish, and it even applies to you who sit there and believe yourself to be wise. It even applies to you. And we talked about how the pursuit of wisdom is not merely the acquiring of information, but it is the, um, the discipline of intentionally, intentionally learning the skills of life. And not just the good life, but the kind of life that God desires. The right life, we might say. And that's a life that begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. We talked just briefly last week about what that fear of the Lord means. And I just said two things very Briefly, one, that it means reverence and all, and secondly, that it means or it has to do with the fact that we have a relationship. It has to do with loyalty to a covenant God. It's a relationship and it's a reverence that culminates in the person of Jesus, the one who is wisdom personified. But as I sat down this week and had planned to just charge ahead into some of the topics that we're going to talk about this summer, some of the practical, hands-on, skill-of-living stuff, I stopped myself and I thought that, you know, we can't move on just yet. Because the fear of the Lord, this concept, is not a peripheral concept And we just touched on it last week, but we didn't spend a lot of time on it. It's not a peripheral concept. It's not a concept that is merely limited to the book of Proverbs, but it's fundamental to all of life. And because the fear of the Lord is fundamental to all of life, we find it all over the Scriptures, not just in the book of Proverbs. Over 150 times in your Bibles, you will see that phrase the fear of God, or the fear of the Lord. And yet, as I've already spoken about, it's it's a concept that is easily forgotten. And it's a concept that even is easily brushed over in our zeal for the Gospel. Now what do I mean by that? Well, we say that fear of God stuff, that fear of the Lord stuff, that was an Old Testament thing. That fits more with the Old Testament God. Now that Jesus is here, we don't fear. And the result, I think, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, unintentionally, is that we begin to think flippantly about God. We begin to think cavalierly about God, as if He is tame. And yet those of you who are Lewis lovers, those of you who are Narnia lovers, know that Mr. and Mrs. Beaver said, Aslan's not safe, but he's good. 
And that was an insight that the Lord gave Lewis that is a good insight. And so today I want to set our hearts for a few minutes, for a few minutes more, on that phrase, the fear of God, or the fear of the Lord. And I want to firm up this foundation. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge, then I want to firm up this foundation before we just charge into this book. Today is, in fact... Um, it's a bit hard for me in this regard because today's more of a, a topical sermon. We're going to look at lots of Scripture. So get your pens ready because I want you to write these things down. I want you to return to them and meditate on them and think about them longer and linger even further on this passage and on this phrase. My kids saw this one verse And they said, how are you going to preach a sermon on just that one verse? Is it going to be a short sermon? No, it's not going to be a short sermon. But hopefully it'll be worthwhile. So listen as I read Proverbs chapter 1. We could have turned to a number of different verses, but we'll just read the one we read last week. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there are just two simple, straightforward truths that I want us to think about this morning as we explore this topic. Truths that I hope parents will be a launching place for you to talk about this concept because I'm not sure our kids understand what it means to fear God, to fear the Lord. And the first one is this. To fear God is to be captured by who He is. To fear God is to be captured by who He is. The former president, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt, uh, was famous for saying the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. And that's not true. We live in a world of fears. We are fearful people. And brothers and sisters, in one respect, that is the way it is supposed to be. The problem is not that we fear, it's that we fear the wrong thing. It's that we fear the wrong person. To fear God, we must begin by making it a practice to think great thoughts about who God is. We sing great thoughts about who God is. But we need to think about great thoughts concerning our God. We could, of course, spend weeks and weeks and months and months plumbing the depths of the character of God. But let me just give you, under this one point, three angles for us to meditate on as we think great thoughts about God. Because we could really begin to think great thoughts about God as we think about the creature creator distinction. 
As we think about the fact that God is the creator and we are the creatures. You see, in large measure, we live our lives, especially we who live here in the city, here in suburbia. We live in a world that is made by us. Buildings and concrete, roads and motorized vehicles, cubicles and computers. We are the big dogs of this world, so to speak. When we come to the Scriptures, we learn that it's an illusion. And it's an illusion fooled and perpetuated by those who desire and those who seek to ignore God. Because when we get out of those spheres that we have made, when we get out into the world, the world, for instance, that has voiced since the creation of it, the glory of God, when we get out among the stars and the snow-capped mountains, when we get out among the beasts and the elements, among the expanse of land and the, the, the expanse of the universe, we feel small. We feel humbled. We are reminded that we are the creatures and that He is the Creator. And Paul told the church at Rome that this was a truth that was made evident to all. So that we all are without excuse. Your co-workers are without excuse. God is not like us. God is wholly other. God, to use that underrated and overused word, our God is an awesome God. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. That is who I am. And the Lord says in Isaiah 40, 25, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. You see, fear begins by plumbing the depths of our Creator, God, and being captured by this truth that you are not God. You are merely a creature that He has made. But it continues with another comparison. Not only that God is the creator and that you are the creature, but God is the sustainer of all things, and you are helpless. See, not only do we live in a world made by us, but we live and we like to live in a world that is by by and large controlled by us. We pride ourselves by knowing how things work, by knowing how to prevent disruption in our lives. But when the wheels come off in our world, it's then that we are exposed. It's then when our true fears are revealed. See, that's what happened to Job. Job is a character... Many of us know well, he was helplessly, unexplainably stripped of his world. He wrestled with what this meant. 
He battled with his friends concerning what this meant. And at the end of this book of Job, this story of Job, the Lord speaks. And the Lord speaks in such a way that he brings fear into the heart of Job, into the heart of his friends. Let me just read a bit of it. But I encourage you, if not today, this week, to read with your family the last several chapters of the book of Job, starting at Job chapter 38. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and He said, Who is this that darkens counsel who, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and I will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the, of the hail? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And it goes on and on, the questioning of God. I read an excerpt of a book. I read a couple books this week, and I read an excerpt in one that said, if you read these chapters of Job, these final chapters of Job, Every day for a month, you will find there a treatment for almost anything. Are you anxious? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Be captured by who God is. Not only is God the Creator, and we are the creatures. Not only is He the sustainer and we are helpless, but it all culminates in this crucial capturing of who God is that defines the fear of the Lord. And it's the fact that He is righteous and we are not. First Chronicles 16.33 Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 was in awe at the holiness of God and what was his response? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Psalm 96.10 Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples in His faithfulness. Hebrews 10.27, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, it's this kind of fear. Really, it's a combination 
of these three kinds of fears. God as creator, God as sustainer, God as righteous one that ought to drive us to the Lord. And that's exactly where the Gospel comes in. The Gospel and the good news of Jesus doesn't negate these things about who God is and how glorious it is, though it does change our perspective. Because the fear of God for an unbeliever results in condemnation at the last day. And the fear of God for an unbeliever results and culminates in worship and in humility. Martin Luther, that great figure of the Protestant Reformation, he he wrote about two ways of looking at fear. He said you can look at fear as uh, servant fear or servile fear or filial fear or family fear. You see, servile fear is that fear that slaves have towards their masters, that dread of punishment and the unexpected. It's the kind of fear that Jesus spoke of when he told the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And there in that story, the slave says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And that, brothers and sisters, is not the way God calls his children to fear him. Because you're not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. And John says in 1 John 4, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Therefore, our fear... Our fear of God is a family fear. It's a fear that a child has for his father. A father who loves him. A father who is tender and patient with him. It's a fear of respect. It's a fear of discipline, but not destruction. You see, that kind of fear is healthy fear. That's godly fear. We, we know that the bite of God is there. But we rejoice that we never will have to experience it. And it's that kind of fear that results in all those passages that seem to contradict what we're saying. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. I am your God. Luke 12, 20, uh, Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, you must be captured by who God is in order to fear Him. You must recognize He is the Creator. You must recognize He is the Sustainer. You must rejoice and recognize in Him as the Righteous One. And you can only do that through the rock of ages. We sing that song. We didn't sing it this morning. I wish we would have, but I thought of it too late. Uh, The rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Where does that come from? 
It's that beautiful picture in Exodus 33 where Moses wants to see the glory of God and and God says, you can't see me. You can't see me and live. And so I'm going to jam you in this rock and I'll put you in this crevice and I'll put my hand over that crevice and I'll walk by so that you can survive. Do you think when Moses was in that cleft of the rock that he feared God, that he was afraid? You better believe he was afraid when that glory passed by. But did he fear that he was going to be consumed? No. No, he didn't. And that's why we sing that you, Lord Jesus, you are the rock that was cleft for us. And as we hide ourselves in you, we fear God. Yes, we fear God. But we fear as you call us to be feared. Because we are captured by who you are. That's the first thing I want us to think about. As we think about the fear of God. But there's another. The second point this morning is this. To fear God is to be controlled by what He has done. So to fear God is not just to be captured and to be led to worship in awe by who He is. We need to do that. We need to think great thoughts about God. But we need to be controlled by what He he has done. When I was a young boy, I don't remember how old I was. I meant to ask my mom on 4th of July, and I forgot. Must have been at least 7 or 8, because I don't remember anything before those years. Um, I remember I was staying at my grandmother's house in Birmingham, Alabama. My dad was away at a conference. It was my mom, my, my grandmother, and me. I was the man of, the man of the house. And we had gone out. My grandmother lived on a college campus in a little house that was adjacent to the college campus. And, and it was an old, kind of stony, uh, austere campus, you know, very kind of cold and old and tucked way back in the woods. And we came home one time, from, well, one evening from uh, spending the night or spending the evening with my aunt and uncle at their house. And, and we walked into the house and the door was split in two. The front door was split in two. Splinters everywhere. Lights were all on. And I walked in behind my grandmother and my mother, and I remember just the place was just trashed. And as my grandmother and my mother tried to to get their heads around what was going on, they looked into the, the bedroom, and you couldn't quite see around the corner. And suddenly my mom grabbed me and said, we got to get out of here. Because it was obvious that my grandmother's house had gotten broken into and we couldn't tell. And, and before they knew it, they were inside the house and we couldn't tell if he was still in there. And as a young boy, being whisked out of this house in disarray with just my mom and my grandmother, that experience created a fear in me as a young boy that controlled me. It controlled me for the next several years. Every time I went to bed at my house, make sure all the windows were shut. Make sure all the doors were locked. 
Maybe you have an experience similar of a fear that becomes so, you become so enraptured in it that it, it controls you. Of course, that's a negative example. It's a, it's a negative illustration, but the fear of God is the kind of fear that we need to let control us. In the positive sense. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see, at the heart of holiness, at the heart of your growth in grace, is this concept of fearing God. If you want to be godly, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to learn, you need to grow in fear. On the other side of the coin, we can see what absence of fear produces. Abraham came across it as he traveled and said in Genesis 20, he told Abimelech that he lied to him about his wife because there is no fear of God in this place. And he knew if there was no fear, there would be lawlessness. And Pharaoh said in Exodus 5.2, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let your people go? There was no fear in Pharaoh. And Paul declared in Romans 3, speaking of all the world under sin, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's why John Calvin, for instance, said all wickedness flows from a disregard of God. And so we who believe then, we who have been chosen, you in this room who have been called according to His purpose, you are called to fear God. You are called to a God consciousness, we might say. I read a great article about the fear of the Lord this week from John Murray, who was a former professor at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia years and years ago. Great theologian, and and I've quoted him already, but I want to quote him again on this subject of being controlled by the fear of God. He says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And God is not in all the thoughts of the wicked. The first thought of the godly man in every circumstance is God's relation to him and it and his and its relation to God. That is God consciousness, and that is what the fear of God entails. The fear of God in us is that frame of heart and mind which reflects our apprehension of who and what God is, and who and what God is will tolerate nothing less than total commitment to Him. Which is why Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, a verse that many of you know well, Therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you for His good pleasure. We need to be controlled by what He has done. But how exactly? Jeremiah 32-39, the Lord tells His people, I will put 
the fear of me in their hearts. The good news is that as we think about how exactly to work this out, how do we grow in the fear of God? The good news is that you already have a head start. God has already given you the spark of fear if you are His. You simply need to fan it. You need to fan those flames. And like Solomon spoke of last week in his introductory remarks in the book of Proverbs, that takes intentionality and that takes discipline. David cried out in Psalm 34, 9 and 10, O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so it begins with saying, I am on this course. I am seeking the Lord. I need to know Him that I might fear Him, that I might be controlled by that fear. In my devotions this week, I read a devotional that spoke to this point. It asked the question, how well do you know God? And it said this, He is the most important person who exists on every scale of excellence. He is infinitely greater than the best person you ever knew or heard of. He is inexhaustibly interesting. He is the source of every good pleasure, so therefore He Himself pleases fully and finally. And it is therefore astonishing how little effort we put in to knowing God. It's as if the President of the United States came to live with you for a month and you only said hello to Him in passing every day or so. What a great picture for us. This is great that you're here, but it's not enough. You need to seek the Lord. He has found you, but you never stop seeking Him. That's why David, the man who knew God like no other, said in Psalm 86.10, Teach me Your way that I might walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. That's a prayer that we should, we should read Job 38 and to the end every day. We should pray this verse, Psalm 86.11, every day. Brothers and sisters, if we do this, the effect that it has on our lives is beautiful. If we could get down, so to speak, this God consciousness, this persistent reverence of being captured by who He is, controlled by what He has done, ah, the effects on our lives are huge. Think of what the fear of God can prevent. The fear of God prevents sin because He's here. He's here. He's standing next to you as you yell at your wife, as you yell at your children. He's in that dark room as you're on your phone or on your computer. He is there. And He is God. 
The fear of God prevents not only sin, it prevents misguided fear. The fear of man. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God is bigger than any man or woman that you might fear. His acceptance is greater and deeper than any acceptance that you might long for on this earth. And then the fear of God, as I hinted at last week, the fear of God prevents anxiety. It's the remedy for anxiety and for frustration. Because when those times of conflict or crisis happen... The fear of God and living in that fear says, He's here. He's doing something. He is in this. And all of that, of course, that fear of God not only brings glory to God, but it creates joy in our lives. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Brothers and sisters, all I want us to do this morning is to ask ourselves do we fear God? A good indication of whether you fear God or how much you fear God is how you respond when things are taken away from you. How you respond when the wheels come off. How you respond in the terms in, in those instances of crisis and conflict. Do you want to fear God more? Do you want your kids to fear God? Then pray and pursue and expose yourself to who He is and to what He has done. This is the context. This is the foundation upon which all other wisdom is built. And it's what you're called to be. It's what bring, brings God glory. And in that beautiful, loving way, it's not only what, bring God, what brings God glory, but it also brings you good. Be captured by who He is. Be controlled by what He has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this teaching from Your Word. Father, we have just scratched the surface of how You instruct Your people to fear You and to respond to You and what kind of posture to have towards You. But I pray that here in this place, using these weak, inadequate words, that You would begin to do a work in the lives of Your people who are here. That those who have been anxious, those who have been fearful of man, those who have been trapped in sin, that this picture, this reality of who You are, might grip them and might find deep root in their hearts that we would be changed. 
O Holy Spirit, make it so, applying the word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.